Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 50 of Ask the CEO with Abraham Gatai. Today's a very special episode because this is our big 5-0, and for our special episode for our uh, centennial, we have invited a very special guest. She is the co-founder and CEO of StrongDM, the definitive data security product. Previously, she was co-founder and CEO of the cross-device profile company, Media Armor. After its acquisition, she served as VP of Analytics at the acquirer, Nomi. Prior to Media Armor, she led the client analytics and media optimization team at the Tomi, now Conversant, generating an annual $500 million in incremental revenue for 50 of the IR Top 100. With over 15 years experience leading data-driven organizations, she is an expert in analytics, data privacy, and security. It is my honor and pleasure to welcome Elizabeth Zalman. Welcome, Liz. Thanks, Abraham. Appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. You know, with uh, all the craziness going on today with the credit bureau uh, agency security breach, I am so glad to have an expert on to talk about data security. <laughs> very, you're very sweet. Yes, it has been some, it's been a couple of fun weeks. So tell me a little bit about StrongDM. You know, what does the company do and what do you do? So the company, uh, the company secures access to, to databases. Um, I think it's interesting you brought up the Equifax breach because I think that the, the big problem out there today isn't that hackers can, can breach a, a UI or a firewall. It's that they can actually go on and penetrate like corporate databases and steal identities and credit cards and all that stuff. Um, and what, what we ended up finding that we hunted down, and I'll sort of tell you the backstory of the company, is that with respect to database access, it just requires like a single user's credentials. And credentials are floating around all over the place. Like even in the second part of the Equifax data breach, where they talked about that Argentine website that, where the, it was admin admin. Like, <laughs> you got little post-its on the monitors. <laughs> it's exactly right. And companies today have no way of fixing it. Um, and the problem of stolen data is only going to get worse, not better, because we're ingesting more and more data. Um, and so I think so long as user credentials are easy to hack, corporate data is going to be stolen. And so there are a number of companies out there today that are working on like, getting rid of credentials in general altogether. Um, and we're one of them. Um, and it's funny, actually, the company started because two of the three founders were actually involved not involved in a data breach. We didn't breach anybody. We were breached. Um, it was a um, it was an IoT company, um, and what they did is essentially Google Analytics for the physical world. So they installed like Wi-Fi sensors and Bluetooth beacons in retail locations, and based upon your proximity of your phone to the end sensor, um, you could track somebody's literal physical path to purchase. Mm. And what ended up happening is there was a database that was unsecured. And a hacker got in and leaked a hundred million MAC addresses to the public. And this is for like every major retailer out there. That company, our company was subject to, um, to not one, but two FTC consent decrees. And, uh, and that was the end of it. So we both felt pretty strongly that, that there was another story out there with respect to credential management. And we decided to focus on databases. So you formed StrongDM after mm -hmm. that, right? Yes, correct. So tell me a little bit about the solutions, uh, about the credential management solutions that you offer. 
Um, so, so it's very simple. We secure access to databases. And what ends up happening um, is that you actually revoke database credentials, right? If they don't exist, people can't get in. And so you give people get access to us, which is a proxy service. And then we manage the connections back and forth to the different databases. So everything gets centralized, everything gets collapsed down so that DevOps and systems administrators don't have this massive threat surface area of credentials. Um, and then because as a proxy service, everything is going through like a single pipe, you can see who's doing what, when and where. Um, you sort of get to, we're fond of saying you get to play, play God with database access. Um, and for, for the layman out there, there's a very simple analogy. If, if you, um, you're going shopping, let's say, right, like on, on the GAPS website or Williams-Sonoma or whatever, you can create an account on your own when you go to make a purchase. Or it says, like, link Facebook, like use Facebook to log into the website, yeah. And so that's that single sign-on. It's like one account to manage access to a bunch of others. And so we do that for databases. Ah, gotcha, gotcha. So then they log in through StrongVM. And I assume you have, uh, so the way you operate, you have roles-based access for the different levels of permissions? Yeah, that's exactly right. So companies get to take a step back. And, and honestly, for the first time in some of these companies' lives, they get to say, like, who really needs access to this information? Does, does Bob, the analyst, really need access to this customer table or, or, or this piece of PII and you get to say no he doesn't or yes he does and then and sort of create this notion and really implement this notion of least privilege right so the minimum level of access that people need and so it simplifies companies access requirements um, and it, it just it honestly makes their lives a whole lot easier yeah for sure so take us through a scenario so let's say uh, you have a guest coming into a building and some guy's got his password very prominently displayed on his monitor, right? So this person goes home and he decides, hey, let me try to hack in, right? So he obviously has the password, but what can be done now? Like right, right this very moment. Right. Um, so right now, so he's not only going to need the password, he's going to need the guy's username. Uh. He's going to need the address of the database. Oftentimes, or the majority of the times, companies' databases are they're private. You can't access them publicly. So you either have to be in the office or on the VPN, which means you have another level to get through. Um, uh, so there are definitely protections that are already, already available there. Yeah, and if you're on the VPN, then you're identified already. So you're not anonymous anymore. You're not anonymous. No, they would be pretending, yeah, to, to yeah. be the other person. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Nice. Just curious, in your experience, when it comes to cybersecurity or data security or any kind of security, are you finding that 80 or 90% of it is really educating people, you know, the human factor? Um, you mean like for, for end users, like consumers or for companies? For the, the owners of the data. So the people that are supposed to be safeguarding it. I think the problem today is actually arrogance, if I'm being honest. Um, so I get two types of people on phone calls. I get people who, who think this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. And then I get people who say, I don't need this. This isn't necessary. I'm not going to need this for a year. I do this myself. It's already automated, so on and so forth. 
the best customer conversation I've ever had was with a director of security at a recruiting company. And he said that he needs to assume that it's not a matter of if, but when. So he's like, so I need to go and implement everything I possibly can. I'm going to go get compliance certifications and all security best practices. And then I'm going to assume that it's still not enough. And I'm going to ask myself, okay, assume somebody got in, what else can I do in order to, to mitigate the risk? And I think companies today are not skeptical enough. Like they don't hire enough skeptics to sort of say, hey, what else could we be doing here beyond the status quo? Because if you think about it, like compliance isn't enough. Like Equifax was compliant up the wazoo. They were, they were compliant, I think, with, with PCI, with FINRA, probably trying to get compliant with GDPR requirements. Um, Target, Target was compliant. Target got breached because they had a database credential that was sitting in a, a piece of software that a third party owned and the third party got breached. And so it's almost like just being compliant isn't enough. Just doing all the standard best practices isn't enough. You sort of have to say, well, what about my vendors who hold a credential? Well, what happens when somebody gets in? Um, and that sort of lack of arrogance and that deference to, to hackers, quite frankly, isn't, isn't around at a lot of orgs today that I speak with. The scenario with uh, third-party vendors is a very real one, uh, right? Because, I, I mean, I myself am uh, a third-party vendor to many large companies at times. And I'm just thinking how, well, you know, I don't have the uh, resources to implement all these security tools that they have, although I'm probably less of a target of being breached than they are. But, you know, so it's kind of like a balance. But I'm just thinking that this would be a very good uh, use case for your uh, solution because if you're a company like, uh, let's take Equifax, right? Your third-party vendors may not have the same, the same resources that you have, so you still need some method of access control. Mm -hmm. that's, that's correct. You definitely do. Um, and I think, <clears throat> no, you're not as much of a target. Yes, you need to be as buttoned up as you possibly can. I think sometimes companies take too long to get there. Um, like we do a brisk business with companies who like need to grow up like they're pre-IPO and it's like, oh crap, <laughs> what, what am I going to do? Um, but I think one of, the, one of the challenges that we see with security products today, and, and we're a purchaser of security products as well, right? We, we need them to run our own business. Um, is that they're really tough to use. Um, they're really hard to use. It takes like a person to staff to use them. Um, people are people are used to like this old school enterprise notion of like stuff that like Oracle offers, for example, right? Or if you're top to bottom .NET with SQL Server. Um, this this uh, this notion of something being easy and simple and yet still providing security, I think, isn't fully formed yet in in the security space. Um, so, so I can tell you with us, like it was actually a founding principle that if it takes more than one click to do something, it's, it's too much. We don't ship it. Um, and it's funny because there was a, the, the guy I was referencing further, the one who, who said that, uh, that his default state is like, it's not a matter of, of if, but when. We did a round of product development about two months ago. And we asked our customers to describe what we did because I don't, we don't have a name for the category. So who best to talk to except your customers? Um, and we spoke to him, uh, the quote's actually on the website, and people were really struggling with how to describe us. 
And this guy said that he thought that the reason why he was struggling was because we had combined two completely opposing forces. There's security, which has to be hard and is really tough to do right, and convenience, which is like an app, right, on your iPhone. And he was like, and you've been able to combine these two, and they're completely opposing, and that's a miracle. And that was the problem. Um, and this is a guy who like does InfoSec, right? His job is to know what's out there for security. And he was struggling with, with the idea. How did you get past that? Well, we got, we got past it because it, it's just very easy to use. It's just, um, if you think about what's available out there today, like a way to turn the industry on its head. Security in general is thinking about security almost as what would you, Avraham, require like as a consumer, you're in an app, you're tracking on your Fitbit or whatever every day, right? And that thing is so easy and simple to use. Why can't it be that simple to secure web mm -hmm. or databases or anything? Like, why does it have to be hard? If you think about it, the big players like Cisco and uh, some of the other name brands out there, they all have text-based command line interfaces. Mm-hmm. They, they do. And in fact, one of them, I remember when we started a couple of years ago, somebody said, oh, hey, you're, you're very similar to this other company. Um, and I looked them up and their onboarding doc was 19 pages of command line stuff. We don't even have onboarding docs. <laughs> <laughs> so there's one class of companies to your point. There's Cisco, there's IBM, there's Guardian, there's all, Oracle. There are all of these guys who who service companies who are like big fortune 100 companies who are able to write the eight, nine figure checks a year. Right. Um, and they have a team staffed to run these things. Yeah. And that's not the modern organization today. That's not you. Right. You, and you, that's a, you don't want that to be you. Exactly. And I think that that is what intimidates a lot of people from deploying security solutions because they, they just look at it and go, you know what, I, I can't deal with this. I can't read 19 pages of onboarding docs and yep. command lines. Yep. So Liz, who would be an ideal client for your company? Um, that's a good question. Um, besides would, me. Besides you. Um, <laughs> So the companies that, that seem to take advantage of us the most, companies who already have like a single sign-on provider for web services who are looking to extend that to databases, they're typically high growth technology companies, technology at their core, and also companies who are migrating to the cloud or have a hybrid solution, like they've got a lot of databases in a lot of places, and there's no way to centralize access to those. And what size would that a company would that typically be? If it's a startup, you're probably talking somebody who's raised 50 or $100 million, maybe a valuation of, you know, half a bill or a billion, um, or like, a, you know, a, a newly IPO'd company, like within the last five years. Okay, gotcha. So it could be anybody from, you know, let's say a 10-man organization mm -hmm. up to like, what would be a good higher range? Our largest client is Hearst, the publisher. Um, they probably have, I don't know, five, 6,000 employees, something like that. Yeah. Gotcha. So it's a, it's, it's a nice, it's a nice range. It's a nice range and it's the exact same amount of effort to implement, whether it's you or it's Hearst. <laughs> That's the beauty of it. That's the beauty. Awesome. 
So Liz, have you ever dealt with IoT technology? I know you've had an IT company, but within your current company, have you ever dealt with the IoT security? We, we have in the sense that we have customers who, who deal in that space and they're ingesting just gross, enormous quantities of data. And so they're securing access to that data through us. Sure. Awesome. And have you found any challenges with securing IoT companies? IoT companies tend to be more, um, more like data lake companies, right? Or, or NoSQL databases, so just big blobs of, of data that are, that are coming in like, um, like a Hadoop ecosystem, right? Um, and oftentimes in the Hadoop ecosystem, access is, is almost more command line oriented because it, like, it's file systems, it's like HTS-DFS as opposed to people who are ingesting smaller quantities of data, which doesn't mean small, it just means smaller. And, and typically that stuff is being stored into like traditional databases with rows and columns. So I think IoT guys are much more dependent on the newer tech. Um, Non-IoT guys use newer tech, but also have like the old relational databases in play. Um, I don't know if there are challenges, it's just different. So Liz, how did you get started in this career? Um, I actually started in ad tech, De depending upon the age of our listener, we'll see how many know this. So, uh, the guy who gave me my first job out of college was actually one of the founders of ICQ. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, he's Israeli. Uh, his name is Yair. He's actually an investor in this company. Thank you, Yair. Um, and he, he took a chance on me as, you know, a, a young upstart Jewish studies major, actually zero computer science skills whatsoever. Um, and I worked for him for four or five years in analytics. And then and he, that company actually invented um, remarketing or retargeting. So, you know, when you shop online and you have those banner ads that follow you around with like the sweater that you last looked at. So they were the first company to do that. Ah. Um, so I worked for him and then, and then I said, I think I can do better because mobile was starting. And so I started a company with a friend and we tracked consumers on their devices, right? Phone to tablet to desktop. Um, and then when we got acquired, it was when the company that bought us um, had their, their Mongo data breach, the IoT data breach um, with the MAC addresses that I took a step back and I thought maybe, maybe I should do something that is less trying to sell more clothes <laughs> for companies and, and more this actually affects me as a consumer, and I think there's something that we can do about it. Nice. And what was your decision when you decided that, you know, I'm going to start this company? I wanted to start it because, because it didn't make sense that there wasn't a solution for this. It didn't make sense to me that database access management hadn't changed since databases were invented, which is like Nixon. <laughs> That's mind-boggling, right? We, we can go and zoom in on Google Earth with satellites above here and I can go like check out the car that's parked, you know, in front of my apartment. But I'm, I, to your point earlier, like I still have a credential on a, a post-it note on my monitor, like at work, it didn't make any sense. Beautiful. And what keeps you motivated every day? For me personally, it's the challenge, right? It's, it's waking up and it's knowing that every single morning, my fate and the company's fate is in, is in my hands, it's in my employees' hands. Um, I, and it's knowing that we're working together towards this common thing without ego and we're either gonna figure it out or we're gonna fail and we're gonna do both together. Um, 
And that to me is, yeah, I, I don't know how I could ever work for somebody again. <laughs> that's the best part of being an entrepreneur, right? You've got your fate in your hand and that's, there's no other way to go. As you are well aware, sir. Yes, absolutely. Um, as you were building your career, what were some of the ups and downs you had to deal with? Um, I mean, a big down was actually when the company that acquired, when, when Nomi acquired Media Armor and then it went under itself. Um, that was a down because a whole bunch of shareholder value was lost, right? Like, like investors, both institutional investors and, and friends and family and, and people lost, people, so many people lost their jobs. Um, the most difficult, I, I don't know, the one of the most difficult things for me to do is to do layoffs. It's to look at somebody's eyes and say like, I, I'm not sure you're going to be able to feed your kid in a month. Like that's, that's horrible. Um, and so that, that was a down for me. Um, and people felt that really, really deeply. Um, for me, ups are our fundraising, are getting people to believe in a vision that we have um, that may not yet exist, that might not have revenue behind it yet, but there's something there and they see the kernel of, of something that could be amazing and they say, yes, I'm gonna go on that journey with you. And that's like, those are some of the best days when you, when you sign those docs. For sure. And any, any favorite books that you have that you use to help you get uh, through some of these challenges? I don't have a favorite book. I'm a huge fan of science fiction. Um, so my dad, 25 years ago, bought me this like science fiction anthology of short stories and I buy it every year and I read through it. Um, I also just read Ready Player One uh, that's being turned into a movie, I think, like about a gamer and it was just so much fun. It's incredible. Um, so I try to do less nonfiction because there's so much nonfiction in real life. Um, because life is nonfiction and just like fiction. Like I want to be whisked away to a place that isn't my computer being a therapist for data breaches. <laughs> <laughs> nice. It helps you be creative as well. Yes, I think so. Cool. Um, so talking, you know, talking about uh, being a therapist for data breaches, right? So, you know, there's a statistics that many small businesses fail in their first year um, where do you think entrepreneurs go wrong? Hmm. I think very similar, and, and I'll speak from personal experience, I think very similarly to, to what I said earlier about security professionals having an ego. Um, I think entrepreneurs have an ego. And I have one too, right? You need it. it you got to do it for the job. You got to like, as you know, be stubborn and steadfast and say, no, I'm not going to do this. I believe it's going to be this. Um, but I think what ends up happening is that, and everybody says this, right? Listen to your customers. Your customers are going to guide you. I think very few people actually do that. I know I didn't do it very well earlier in my career at, at my last company. Not, not well at all. And at this company, we did it so well that um, it actually brought us to where we were today. We had this different idea uh, for a company like, we started off with this notion of data quality. Um, and like six or seven months in, nobody was really buying it. And we took a look at what people were really complaining about in their day-to-day -day life. And it aligned to the breach that had happened at Nomi. It was that credential management was really hard. It was hard to get connected, but it was impossible to monitor. And we wouldn't be here without listening to our customers. So I think, I think all entrepreneurs say they do that. 
I think very few actually do. Um, and that to me is where success or failure mainly lies. And they're also like, you're 10 years too early for a product. Like that's not going to help you either. Yeah, exactly. You have to be there at the right time, but that is very sage advice because it's so true. We need to balance our uh, confidence with a little humility and actually listen to the people that write our paycheck. (laughs) Totally. Definitely. Beautiful. So Liz, I love what you got going on. Um, Where do you see yourself taking this say in the next five years? I think that access, I think databases aren't enough. I think that if you're going to secure things, um, I think you need to think about infrastructure as a whole. Um, you've got a class of company dealing with web services like Okta or AD. Um, I think we're going to be focused more on the back end. So I think about four protocols to secure infrastructure access. I think about databases. I think about SSH, like servers themselves. Um, I think about HTTP, which might be like reporting dashboards internal to the company. Um, and I think about RDP, the, the Windows Remote Desktop Protocol. Um, so that to me is where I think, I think we're headed more to the technical hire, less to the the business user. You know, it's funny you mention RDP because I use that all the time, logging into remote systems and, you know, people just give that out. And I'm always wondering, like, what were to happen if it got into the wrong hands? How would you control access to that without messing up all the other vendors that need to get in? See? You should be a security professional. There's the skepticism. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little more on the geeky side. So uh, yeah, I can certainly appreciate what you're doing. That's very funny. So Liz, if you could turn back the clock, let's say 12 months, would there be anything differently that you'd do? Um, I'm going to abstract this out of professional, if that's okay. Sure. I think... I think regret is a waste of time. I think you can't change the past, but I do think you can always be kind to people and you can always be kinder. Um, I remember when when the actor and comedian Robin Williams died, I remember somebody posted something on social media and it said, and it was a shock to me, right? Because I didn't know about any, anything that was going, how would I know about anything that's going on in his life? Um, But somebody posted something that said, be kind, for everybody is fighting a battle that you know nothing about. And it was so true, right? Me, you, like who knows? Um, And so to me, kindness is the most important thing. And and if there's something that I think about when I look back on time, it's actually not being kinder to people. That is so beautiful because really, that's that's really what it's all about. I mean, why we're here as human beings and what matters more is not how much money you make or what business you're in, but who you are as a human being. So I really love that. And, and it's topical this week, right? With the, with the, with the Jewish new year coming up. And so yeah, yeah, I'm thinking a lot about that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So at the time of this recording, we're only about three days away (laughs) uh, ready to start a new year and take stock of all our actions from the previous year. That is true. Awesome. So a very difficult question, Liz. So what do you, what do you like doing for fun? I like long walks on the beach. Um, no, I, uh, 
I do the normal stuff to, to decompress. I, I like lifting weights. I love playing tennis. I like going to yoga, like low key yoga, though, not the crazy fast stuff that people do. I need to fill out on the floor. Um, <laughs> I love writing. I like doing anything that means I'm not in front of my computer. Like I have a Blackberry. It keeps, <laughs> it keeps me off of my phone. Like this is why I have this thing. Um, Cause it doesn't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> really nice. So Liz, a lot of people expressed interest in the technology that you're with. So going back to the computer. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> so we have a couple of questions that came in from the audience. Our first question is from Eric Knight, the CEO of a company called Simple Wan in Phoenix, Arizona. And Eric says, I think the topic on everybody's minds right now is the Equifax breach. No surprise there. It comes to light that the chief security officer had an art degree and limited real world experience. I would love to hear your thoughts on what major corporations have learned from all this and have they learned? Okay. Um, so a, a couple of thoughts here. I have a Jewish studies degree. It, does, it doesn't, I think degrees are degrees. My, my CTO dropped out of high school actually. Like I think you can pick things up from a a real world perspective. I'm gonna take his word that she doesn't have real world experience though. Um, I think a couple of things. So I think, I think from a learning perspective, number one, right? As we mentioned earlier, uh, compliance doesn't necessarily mean security, right? Going back to the target example, fully compliant, they got breached because they had a database credential that had previously been issued to a third party vendor and that vendor got breached. So number one, I think companies need to realize that they're only as secure as their vendors. Number two, they need to assume they're going to get breached. Not if, but when, right? Hire the skeptics. Um, and then I think number three, you know, you blame the C-level people, right? The people who have the title who are in charge of that, whole, of that whole regime. But those guys are not the people, right, getting their hands dirty. Like, I would almost ask myself, why is it that the dude who was in charge of that website, the Apache upgrade, why didn't that get done? Like that's not happening up here, it's happening way down here. Um, and so I think companies need to, need to find ways also to like collapse that, that um, the organizational structure so that people up here have visibility into what's going on, right? It's not just yes men. Um, but I guess to answer the question directly, I mean, you can hope companies are learning. I, I don't know from, from, from his mouth to God's ears. Um, I, I don't know. I think data breaches, they're just happening more and more frequently. And I think there needs to be a, a reckoning as to how, how people approach this. Great point. All right. Our next question is from William Moore. He's the president of Global IT Solutions in Piscataway, New Jersey. So William thinks you have a great product. He's seen and read about companies that do not address orphan user IDs and the companies wind up being victims of malicious acts by disgruntled employees that have been terminated or suspended. The companies often rely on IT or someone to take care of this issue, and sometimes things fall between the cracks and it just doesn't get done. Mm -hmm. So his question is, do you offer or have you considered offering post-mortem unauthorized access detection? So in other words, Generating an audit which represents the instances and data that have been accessed in an unauthorized capacity after an employee was suspended or terminated? The answer is, first of all, he's right. 
um, uh, we don't offer that because uh, it's actually part of our onboarding process. So what ends up ha happening if you use strong DM is you take the opportunity to get rid of all those orphan user IDs. So if you think for a second, right, you're going to go and take database access away from, you know, usernames and passwords for every employee for every different data source that like rat's nest of credentials and you're going to collapse it into the strong DM control plane. The only way that you're going to be sure that you're starting out secure is by getting rid of all the, st the stuff. So one of the requirements that we have for our clients once they're on the system is they get rid of all of the old stuff. Um, otherwise, it doesn't make sense for you to bet the farm on a system, right? Because you're implementing us because you need a system of record. You got to get rid of everything else. Beautiful. And that makes a lot of sense as well. Just give access to whoever needs it today. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Okay, our next question is from Agnes Vaisier from Risk IQ in London, England. So Agnes says, since your solution seems to be revolving around IAM, identity and access management, how did you get the idea to simplify that process? It, it came from that, from that uh, data breach, uh, the IoT data breach with the MAC addresses. Um, it was the MAC addresses leaked, there was an unsecured instance, data was not encrypted at rest, um, it was a violation of the privacy policy, the FTC caught it, two consent decrees later were dead. And none of it made sense. Why have a privacy policy that stated that things were encrypted at rest when they weren't? Why do you have an unsecured instance out there in the wild anyways, right? You know Mongo by default has no authentication, why wouldn't you fix that? And certainly why wouldn't you fix that when you have every major retailer in the world that's your client. Um, so it, it, was, it was pretty obvious that something needed to be rethought and it didn't seem like anybody was really playing in the database space. Great. Uh, our next question is from Scott Schober, CEO of Berkeley Veritronic Systems in Metuchen, New Jersey. And Scott is a leading expert in the cybersecurity field. He also authored a book called Hacked Again. <laughs> it's a great title. <laughs> so Scott says, people will always trade security for convenience. How can you get convenient access to your data without compromising, keeping it secure? Yep. And, and so sort of going back to the point we touched on earlier, um, I completely agree with that point of view. It hasn't existed so far. Or I haven't seen anything like it um, outside of us. I think um, I think that humans by default will trade security for convenience, right? You always want to cut corners. You always want to make it easier for yourself. Um, so what we did is we started with at our core, we're a security product. We're like a, a database VPN. Every click in the network, every authentication, every query, everything's recorded. But then the question became, okay, so now that you have this core piece of security, how do you make it as easy to use as a, a consumer app like Fitbit? Um, so if it doesn't take, if it takes more than a click to do anything, we don't ship it. It's, it's the principle behind the product. I actually had somebody tell me, maybe nine months ago, a year ago now, he said, um, he said, try not, he goes, not try not, he said, have you considered making it more difficult to use? And I was like, what? And he said, it just seems so easy to use that it feels like I shouldn't have to pay money for it. Like it's just too easy. So talk about the expectation that exists out there of like having security be difficult. I, I couldn't believe it. 
I mean, I could, but I couldn't. Create this really complex command line, you know, just that doesn't do anything, but it's just there to keep, you know, keep the price point. Right, I should have like an alert go out that says, please log into the command line and type in this arbitrary command to keep your system up and running. <laughs> totally. <laughs> That's the next release. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so our next question is from Daydree Diamond founder and CEO of CyberSN and BrainWave.org in Boston, Massachusetts. So Deidre says, I would like to know about challenges you faced as a woman that you don't see men facing. <laughs> I saved the best for last. Oh, Ms. Diamond, I love her. Um, I think there are challenges that women face that men don't and challenges that men face that women don't. Um, I think... I'll speak personally about being in the security space now. So we sell to CTOs, heads of infrastructure, heads of information security. And I think oftentimes in many of these companies, um, through no fault of anybody's own, I think guys sometimes just want to talk to other guys, right? They want to know that the person that's sitting across from them can plausibly be sitting next from them, coding, right, in the trenches during something. And I think sometimes women just don't, fit that mold, right? Like we just, we don't. And I think that's okay. And so there have been many meetings in which I've been in, in which I've actually been the technical resource in the room, but the CEO sitting across from me wanted to talk to my male co-founder who's like a marketing guy. (laughs) Who looks like a marketing guy. And so he would ask marketing guy a question and I would answer. And then he would ask another question to the marketing guy. And so there's this bizarre triangle going on where I've never, I was never And so I think, can I win that battle in that room right there? No, I I can't. And, and that, and sometimes that's going to happen and it's, it's not, it's not the rule for sure, but it's going to happen. And so you give the CTO what they want at that particular moment in time, which is a male voice. But I think that slowly over time, incidences of that become less and less and you sort of crack away at that, at that sort of assumption or that requirement and it just becomes like doing business with like, it's just one human to another, right? You know, I, I've said this many times. Um, one of the things I really appreciate about speaking to female entrepreneurs is that I had no idea this stuff still happens today. <laughs> Abraham, I could tell you stories that would make your hair stand up on end. <laughs> so, you know, I, I could certainly appreciate what you go through and the challenges you go through and, you know, stuff that I take for granted because I don't deal with that. But, uh, you know, kudos to you for not letting that stop you and keeping a good attitude and, you know, keeping your head on straight and doing what you've got to do. Thank you. I appreciate it. And then kudos to all these other resources out there that support women such as uh daydre's uh brainbabe.org and and she's great i mean that woman is on a mission and she is after it yeah for yep. sure awesome so liz i know you're a busy gal and we're gonna let you go but just before we do how do people find you how do people find me uh just send me an email liz at strongdm.com Great. And what's your website address? It is www.strongdm.com. Simple enough. So we'll super simple. Yep. Great. So we'll post that in the show notes so people can go right to you and 
take a look at all the wonderful solutions that your company offers. Thank you. Great. Liz, do you have any parting words of wisdom that you'd like to share with the audience? Parting words of wisdom. Avraham, you're, you're making me sweat today. <laughs> um, let's, let's take the data breach angle for a second, just from a consumer perspective. Be careful. Be vigilant. Don't, I mean, I think about my stepmother who has her password sitting in her Gmail account. Um, I think about my brother who's very hip and, you know, is in his 30s and um, didn't take a single step to even look up whether or not he might have been impacted by the Equifax data breach. Um, there are very simple steps that consumers can take to protect themselves against companies not being totally buttoned up. Um, or being victim to being buttoned up, but you know, because it's going to happen. Um, like having a, um, you know, a single password manager, or having your passwords totally randomized, you know, every month or rotate them. Um, I would urge people to take all of the small steps that they can as consumers to protect themselves. Awesome! Very sound words of wisdom for sure. So, Liz, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciated your your wisdom and your time and everything you have to offer. And I really enjoyed having you. Thank you, Abraham. I, I am very grateful that I am, I am, uh, I am interviewee number 50. I'm a, I'm a milestone. So thank you for that. <laughs>